Well, I don't know if you've ever been in a holding pattern uh, before. Maybe you're on an airplane and you're kind of circling the runway waiting for an opportunity to, to, to have the plane land. Or uh, if you've sat in traffic, I know that doesn't happen a lot in Galway, but maybe uh, in other parts of the world, maybe you've sat in traffic in, a, in kind of an endless queue or trying to reach a customer service uh, agent like a human being, right? And you, you sit on hold and this, uh, you go through this phone tree and you end up on hold and kind of a, a holding pattern, just waiting uh, for something to happen, right? Uh, worse than, than that, probably, though, for us is feeling like we're in a holding pattern in life, as if we're waiting for that next thing to happen. Uh, I, I saw a little comic strip years ago, uh, and it was, a, it was a guy walking along, and he came to a sign that said, you are here. And then the next frame, uh, it was him walking again, and it came to another sign that said, now you're not, <laughs> now you're here. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that, 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 maybe, uh, that, that maybe you're just, you're, you're kind of hanging out, waiting for that next big thing in life to happen. You know, maybe a job, and you felt like, you know what, I'm here, I'm doing my bit, but there's nothing bigger, that there's nothing uh, more significant here. It's just me biding my time waiting. Uh, or maybe you're a student, uh, and you feel like, What's the point? You know, what's the point of me being here uh, studying this particular program if I'm just going to get a job somewhere else at, at some point? Maybe you're a grandparent and your, your kids are, are, are out of the house and you kind of feel like, well, I've done my duty and now I'm just, I'm just kind of here. And see, oftentimes we feel as believers that God can't use us in those moments where we feel like we're waiting. That we have to wait until God does whatever the next big thing is in order for Him to use us in this world. And oftentimes we feel like we really don't have a place in this world. We're just biding our time while we're here, waiting for that next thing to happen. And there's nothing kind of grand or big or uh, magnificent that connects everything that we do. You know, we look at people like Abraham uh, in the Scriptures, and we think, now there's a story, right? Like, that's significance there. And then we, we step back and we say, you know, hold on a minute, I'm not Abraham, and you're not, and I'm not Abraham. But if you're a believer here today, you're connected to Abraham. And you are connected to Abraham's story. And that means that as we look at this uh, paragraph in chapter or 18 verses 16 to 21, we're there. We find ourselves as we're connected to Abraham in this story. And what it means is that we do have a place, even now, even in those waiting moments, that God is at work in us and through us. See, the reality is that God does have a purpose for you even in those moments where you feel like you're waiting. 
Now, true, God is often bringing us along to the the next chapter, to that next thing. But what I want us to hear today is that God has placed us for impact right where we are right now, regardless of where that is. And so as we think about Abraham, and as we think about his family that will come after him, that have been placed and positioned to make a difference where they are, I want us to think about where we find ourselves in this grand plan of God and what He's doing. In these first few verses, verses 16 and 17, God uh, is going to talk to Himself. Again, this is Yahweh with these two angelic visitors who are meeting with Abraham. And in verses 16 and 17, if you look at those, then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. So let's just get our bearings here geographically, okay? We see this place called Sodom. And here's what you need to know about Sodom. Uh, One Old Testament scholar called Sodom the prototype of human wickedness in the Scriptures. The, The prototype of human wickedness. Sodom is mentioned 47 times, and it is violent. It is oppressive. In fact, if you look down in verses 20 to 21, you see uh, the Lord says that the outcry against Sodom is great. And He's going to move and respond according to the outcry that has come to Him. That's a word that's used uh, from the mouths of victims that are calling out for justice because of their plight. And this is Sodom. It's violent. It's oppressive. Uh, it's idolatrous, it's perverted, it's, uh, it's greedy, it's unjust, it's cruel, and it's corrupt. And they're right next door to Abraham. And you thought your neighbors were bad, right? That person next to you has nothing on Sodom, okay? They're right next door to Abraham. So again, think about the, the, the track here that we've been on in Abraham's story. He starts off over in the east in a place called Ur with his father and their family. They move a little bit northwest to Haran, and then they move down to Shechem. And God has led them here all along the way. And so when God calls Abraham out of Ur, it isn't a call to escape. It's not a call to escape. God is going to direct Abraham and plant him right next door to the most wicked people on the block. See, because this is what God does. God places His man here in the context of this surrounding community that is under His judgment. He leads him and places him there. And in fact... This is what God always does. God always places His people everywhere because He wants people everywhere to know Him through Jesus. It's like a a spy film almost. If you've ever seen like the Bourne Identity or something, uh, in a spy film, you know, two people are sitting having a coffee and unbeknownst to them, everyone around them is a spy, right? Right? It's like, oh, that guy is, and oh, that lady is, and that lady is. Everyone, everywhere uh, is a a spy. And 
And here in us, in our lives, everyone is more than it seems. So watch what happens here in verses 18 to 19. Sorry, verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. In verse 18, we essentially see uh, the repetition of the covenant that God has made to Abraham. It's a, uh, it goes back to the original promise back in chapter 12, verse 3, that God made to Abraham. And remember, we said when we looked at that promise in chapter 12, verse 3, that it has a top line and it has a bottom line. And so, uh, Abraham is commanded to leave everything that he's known and to travel to the place that God will take him. And God promises, if he will do that, to bless him with land and a nation that will come from him. And that nation will become to God a treasured possession. Exodus chapter 19. God is going to make them one of his, his treasured possession. That's the top line of blessing. If Abraham will respond and go, then God will bless and there will be a nation that will come from him. And then the second part of the promise is another command to be a blessing. That God will use Abraham uh, to bless not just the people that come from him, but all of the nations. Now there was nothing, if you remember when we talked about chapter 12, there was nothing in Abraham that God should have chosen him. In that sense, it was unconditional. But if Abraham will go in obedience to God's call, then he can be a blessing to the nations after him. He can be a difference maker. And that's the bottom line, which is a blessing that extends to the nations. And of course, the outworking of this ultimately leads us to Jesus. In his first coming, where he will die to bless the nations. And then to his second coming. And that becomes then this thread that works itself out in the rest of the pages of Scripture. This is what God is doing. Working out this blessing to the nations. He is raising up redeemed worshipers of people everywhere. Of all the nations so in verse 19, God isn't haphazard here. God is working out a plan, and so he chooses Abraham. Verse 19, for I have chosen him. Abraham is the chosen vessel through whom this blessing is going to come. So God is, gonna, is linking this covenant with his choosing of Abraham. God is on a mission and he's not just throwing darts against the wall and seeing where they stick. He chooses Abraham deliberately as the vessel through whom this blessing is going to come. In the next part of verse 19, we see that Abraham and his family who will come after him were chosen that they might mirror God to the nations. He says, I've chosen him so that 
he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Do you see the, the connection? God has chosen Abraham so that he may command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Abraham and those who come after him are chosen in order that they might mirror God, that they might look like God to those who are around them. So there's a contrast implied here. When we see that they might keep the way of the Lord, that is in contrast to keeping the way of Sodom. They are to look different from the people who are around them. Keeping the way of the Lord is a call to imitate God, to follow after God's way. You know, think of a, a, a group of children that are playing follow the leader, and whoever's in front, whatever they do, all the people behind them have to do the same thing. They, they're following after. This is what we see, that Abraham is chosen to be a blessing. Uh, I've chosen him so that he may command his children to keep the way of the Lord, to imitate God, to look like him in the midst of those that have been placed around him. And we see pretty clearly what that means to keep the way of the Lord, right? Uh, by doing righteousness and justice. So what does it look like to keep the way of the Lord? Well, righteousness and justice. So righteousness there, it's the word for straight. We're conforming to a standard. We look a certain way. So it means doing right by the standard that is set. And then justice. Justice is simply the, the, the returning of things to what they should be. So a sense of rightness. Right? That, that's what justice means. Making right by helping victims or dealing with oppressors. And this is consistent of what we know of God, right? Uh, he is right. And He is righteous in all that He does. And so we look like Him as we do those things. So what God is saying here is that a community is going to arise from Abraham, chosen by God, who will follow the standards of God, who will look like Him and imitate Him by acting like Him in front of and to the world around them. This is what God is doing. He's raising up a people. So we have here election. We have the choosing of a people. We have ethics. Choosing of a people who will look different. And then look at what follows in the last part of verse 19. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Ultimately, blessing to the nations. And how is that going to be established or accomplished? It's going to be accomplished. This purpose of God making Himself known is going to be accomplished through a transformed community of people that are strategically placed among a wicked people who are under God's judgment. So they can see what God looks like. And they can hear of the blessing that's open to them. So don't miss this, alright? God is establishing His presence through a people. 
a community beginning with Abraham who will imitate him, reflecting his character as lights that are placed among the darkness in order to bring blessing. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, that's the purpose and the intent for Israel. Deuteronomy 4, uh, God says there to be a city on a hill that the nations would look to and they would see the goodness of God in Israel and be drawn to worship Yahweh. In Exodus 19, Moses calls them a kingdom of priests to the nations. And guess what? We see the same thing in the New Testament as well. That's his intent for this new community called the church. So we function in the same sense as the new man in Jesus Christ. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he calls the church a kingdom of priests so that the nations might be impacted. So that, he says, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Proclaim to whom? To the people that need to hear it. So we see the same thing about the the church in the New Testament. We are lights to the world in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, We we are to shine like stars, Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 15. So that people in darkness might see the light of God. And listen, that's why if you are a believer here today... That's why that you were not immediately whisked away to some bunker the moment that you were converted. When you were converted, you kept the same boss. You kept the same job with the same cruel co-workers. If you were a student and you came to faith, those kids that might have made fun of you, they were still there and you were still around them. You were immediately surrounded when you came to faith by people in darkness who needed to see a light. I remember the, the, the book Band of Brothers. It's the story of the 101st Airborne in, uh, Division in World War II. And uh, they, get, they get parachuted behind enemy lines. And one of the guys said, you're going to be you know, you're going to be surrounded. As soon as you go in, you're going to be surrounded by the enemy. Uh, and he says, uh, one of the, the leaders says, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. And that's what happens in us. When we come to faith, we are immediately surrounded by people who are in darkness who need to see light. Because here's the thing. On both sides of the cross, Old Testament and New Testament, God has His people strategically placed as lights in order to impact the darkness. People who follow Him. People who look like Him by doing what's right, by helping to correct injustice, seeking to bring ultimate blessing to those in darkness. Because God's heart is that He wants people all over the world to experience a relationship with Him through Jesus. Now, we'll come back to verses 22 and 33, but just briefly, this is a kind of almost a philosophical exploration that Abraham enters into uh, with God, but it's fueled by verse 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing. 
Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? This is Abraham's uh, question or call to, to God. Will you act unjustly in destroying the righteous with the wicked? And of course the answer is no. That's the point of this, uh, of this discussion. Yes, God is just in what He does. Uh, if, the, if there were faithful people found in Sodom, He would forego His judgment to allow those righteous people under His sovereignty to impact those in that place. We'll pick that up next week. But this is where we come, uh, this is where we come in. In 2 Peter 3, we see that God stays His judgment because of His patience, because He is bringing people to the faith. He wants people all over Galway to experience the hope of the Gospel in Jesus. And to be even more specific, He wants people in your housing estate. He wants people at your school. He wants people at the hospital, uh, at Medtronic, whatever, to know Him through Jesus. And so He has His people, you and me, strategically placed right where we are as lights to impact the darkness. So look, if we bring this, bring this home, if, if this is what God is doing, it has implications for how we live, doesn't it? It has implications. We're not just recipients, but we're participants. We don't simply experience the goodness of God's blessings to us. Of course we do. There are benefits to being God's adopted son or daughter. But there's more than that. We are participants with Him in His mission of making Himself known all over the world. We're lights. We are icons of God, image bearers, who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ in front of people under His judgment. And so what would God look like if He was a teacher? Well, guess what? He has His teacher there to show everyone around them. What would God look like if He was a nurse or an engineer or a student? Well, He has His people there to show those around them what He looks like in order to draw them in. And that mission of making Him known begins with reflecting His character. See, that's why ethics are so important. Light is distinct from darkness, and that's what what makes it impactful, right? That's what makes it uh, bring about something different. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. That God is this master strategist who places His lights precisely where He wants them to be. So if you're a believer, no matter where you are, you are there to be a participant with Him in what He's doing. Wherever He's placed you. So we think about this question again. What is my place in the world? Well, the answer is, it's wherever God has you. It's wherever God has placed you. 
So place isn't so much about geography. We often think about it that way. What's my place in the world? Is it here? Is it over in, in, in this place? Is it this place? But it's not about geography. It's about proximity. So your place in the world is right next to God wherever you are. Geography is in one sense irrelevant. Everywhere you are, God wants to use you. And that should change our perspective on our circumstances, shouldn't it? Because if that's true, then while God may be directing us and moving us to some new chapter, it doesn't mean that He doesn't want to use us right here, right now. Right where He's placed us. Because God has placed you, wherever you are, among the dead, among people who are under judgment and in darkness, so that you can speak of what it's like to be alive. So that you can be that light. So what do we do? What's our call? Well, I mean, as we see in Abraham, as we see God's intent for Israel, as we see God's intent for the church in this world, it is that we would bloom where God plants us. Wherever that is that we would bloom where He plants us. I remember years ago watching a, a series of, of DVDs about people that had gone to different places in the world, and one of them articulated this, <laughs> this simple strategy for reaching people wherever they were. And it was, I'm going to tell you, it's very simple. Pray, meet people, and tell them about Jesus. How do we bloom where God plants us? Let me just offer that to you. We pray, we meet people, and we tell them about Jesus. So we plead with God for the souls of those around us that are in darkness. That's where evangelism begins. We might ask, who are we praying for? What are the names of people that you're praying for on a regular basis that, God, that, would, that they would come to faith in Jesus? Now we'll look again at Abraham's response in verses 22 to 33 next week, it's a little more than simply intercession. But Abraham, in response to God's plan for judgment, is going to approach God the way a priest would come before the ark. He's going to come before uh, God in a, in a position, a posture of concern. And embedded here is this idea that where there are faithful people... That is the righteous, the way Abraham describes them. There is still hope that God would stay His judgment that He might respond in mercy and redeem the unfaithful. And so that's what we pray. We pray that while we're here around these people, God, would You work in their hearts that they might come to faith. We meet people. Look, we start to think purposefully about everything we do, conscious that God wants to use Everything we do as an opportunity to see the lives of those around us transformed through the gospel. This is intentional living. So everything we do, even those things that we think don't matter, we seek that God would use those to help us start conversations with people. So we pray, we meet people, and then we tell them about Jesus. We look for opportunities to to steer a conversation toward what's, uh, towards what ultimately matters. 
And that is the Lord Jesus. Understand that the good news of the gospel must be proclaimed in order to have an effect. Look, I mean, your neighbors may know that you're a good person. But if you never tell them about Jesus, they will go to hell knowing that you're a good person. Right? The message of the gospel is a message that must be proclaimed and responded to. And so we seek opportunities to have conversations, to share a word of testimony about what God has done in us. And that is spiritually enabled, that is spiritually empowered. So we pray that God would give us the courage to speak that message. So wherever God plants you, wherever you find yourself today, you be ready to bloom right there. Pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus. And listen, if you're a son or a daughter of Abraham, God wants to take that mundane, everyday stuff that you feel excludes you from some grand purpose. And that's the very, those are the very things that God wants to use in His plan of making Himself known all over the world. That's who we are meant to be. We don't have to go looking for lost people, do we? They're all around us. Even if they faded into the background, they're still there. If we'll have the eyes to see. So, surrender and let God use you right where you are. And listen, if you've never come to that place of faith where you've trusted that Jesus did for you what you could never do on your own, that He died for you. God desires that you would know Him through Jesus. And so think about it. He has brought you through all of your life to this moment where you have heard the message of hope, the message of the gospel, the offer of life that is here. If you will trust in Jesus. And God has brought you to this moment, perhaps for that very purpose. And so will you trust in Him, even today? One of the things that, we've lived in Ireland for 20 years, and one of the things that still amazes me about Ireland is that even uh, in concrete walls or on concrete footpaths, you can see little bits of grass growing. You can see plants growing out of concrete. And you think, how in the world does this happen? Only in, uh, only in Ireland, right? Let me just leave you with that visible, uh, with that image in your mind. And as you see that, which you of course will because it's everywhere, as you see that, remember your place in this world. God has placed you right where you are surrounded by people in darkness who need to see the light that He is working out of you. They need to hear the message of hope through your lips that is there in the Gospel. So bloom wherever God plants you. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about the way that You moved Abraham, that You moved him into this place that a people would come from him who would uh, be used to point other people to You. 
and ultimately to point other people to life through Jesus. We recognize, Father, that we are connected to that story. That we are a part of your movement in this world. And so we pray, Father, that you, through your Spirit, would empower us. Enable us to have that kind of vision that believes that even in the ordinary, that you have put us here for a purpose. And would you use us to the glory of Jesus as we seek to be the hope for the world, pointing them to life in Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.